Hello, welcome to Music Eye Focus with me, Music Eye's editor, Joe Sparrow. Artists have been increasingly vocal in the last couple of years about the pressures of the music industry and the impact on their mental health. And it's not just artists, everyone can experience unique stresses in this industry. In this episode, we speak to Adam Feichek and Jordi Shenton of the UK charity Tonic Rider and ask them what they are doing to provide music industry-specific support around mental health. Now, Music Eye Focus, as you know, provides an analysis-rich and contextual guide to the music business, and we analyze one meaningful music business story at a time. The podcast is also going to be quick. It'll take about the same amount of time as Pat Bertoletti or Joey Chestnut could hypothetically eat 100 chocolate bars. Both Pat and Joey ate three bars in one minute in 2010. Now, talking of competitive work environments... The music industry is in many ways just like any other. It places stresses on the people in it, and some of those people experience difficulties with their mental health. However, those music industry pressures are unique. Job security can be shaky, there can be endless late nights, and not to mention the possible expectation of sex and drugs and rock and roll. Meanwhile, the idea of the tortured artist is normalised, and then those artists are also put on a pedestal. UK charity Tonic Rider provides resources to encourage good mental health in the music business through regular support groups, learning sessions, workshops, and training courses. Adam and Jordi explained to me what the stresses that artists and music business professionals are telling them that they are feeling, what the kind of services that Tonic Rider are providing can do for you and your business, and how regular support groups with other people in the business who really understand its unique mix of pressures can be hugely helpful for everybody. Let's go to the interview now. Okay, so very happy to uh, welcome Jordi Shenton and Adam Feitchek to the podcast. Uh, before we sort of dig into uh, the main part of the discussion, just for sort of context, can you tell us who you are and what your background is and how you sort of ended up working uh, in this area? Um, yes, yeah, so my name's Jordi. I am the coordinator of the Tonic Rider Programme, um, have been for the past two years. And my, my way into mental health and music industry was actually through academic research. So I was, and so am, a researcher of mental health in the music industry, specifically substance use and musicians. Um, but through my work, I then become coordinator of Tonic Rider. Okay, which we'll talk about in a second. And uh, Adam, your background, please. Uh, well, I'm Adam Fajek, and I am a professional musician and the UKCP accredited psychotherapist. Um, and my journey into this domain I guess, came about from my own um, adventure in therapy, um, <clears throat> being involved in, you know, different parts of the music industry, from being DJ um, to singer-songwriter, band member in the commercial industry and the corporate industry also, you know, doing things like, I guess, engagement parties and all those different things. So I have a real kind of peripheral overview of the industry. Um and then coming out of that and struggling to find people that actually understood the nuances of the occupational struggles and the nuances of the struggles of being a creative musician, um, it's really difficult to find, um, you know, manage to go from pillar to post to find different people and then retrain myself, come through that. So I initially started with a diploma in counselling and then trained to be a psychotherapist for five years and I'm just finishing my eighth year, which leans into, it's, it's a doctoral study, so I'll be... Um, leaning into kind of psychology that area now next right okay so a good broad um array of sort of experiences and uh, research to bring to the show uh, i'm grateful for that so judy let's let's uh, set the initial context for what we're talking about 
what is Tonic Rider? Uh, what does it do and why is it needed? Yeah, so Tonic Rider was launched two years ago as a programme from the registered charity Tonic Music for Mental Health with the aim of promoting good mental health in the music industry. This is achieved by us providing training courses, support groups, taught workshops and one-to-one sessions exclusively for working musicians and music professionals in the UK, alongside offering tailored resources and outreach work at festivals and gigs backstage. So far, everything we have provided has been free of charge over the past two years. Um, and why is it needed? We get asked that quite a lot. Why, why is Tonic Rider needed? Why does the music industry need tailored mental health support? Well, research suggests that up to 40% of working musicians and music industry professionals have either received a formal diagnosis or experiencing clinical levels of anxiety and or depression. So that would suggest there are real mental health concerns around not just artists, but also crew and management within the music industry. Thanks, uh, Geordie. Uh, Adam, you know, you're approaching this topic from a, a number of perspectives, uh, partially as a, a working musician. Um, what are the, in your experience and from your research and work, what, what are the main issues that artists and industry people face? And why has this traditionally not really been talked about in the music industry, do you think? Well, I think there's two areas there. You know, there's obviously there's always an overlap between industry people and artists themselves. I think if you go at the core, I think creative artists, you know, we know that, again, they're potentially susceptible to mental health struggles anyway through maybe, you know, nurture nature, however we view that kind of stuff. And then as a musician, you know, you're spending hours and hours and weeks and months doing something which is both a need um, and a desire to try and achieve something within an art. So I think that's innately struggling anyway. And then you superimpose that in like a commoditized framework where you're trying to make a living out of it, where potentially, <clears throat> you know, you are objectified, you are seen as a commodity, but I don't mean that in a negative sense. I think, you know, we have a choice. We can stay in our bedrooms and play our instruments and that's fine, but we choose to go out and we want to market ourselves. So I think there's another tension there which adds another level of stress to it. And then there's another level of stress where the occupational environment is both exciting and exhilarating. You know, we all buy into this myth of rebellion, et cetera, especially in my particular genre anyway, which is, I guess it crosses over from indie rock stuff to electronic stuff to jazz. You know, there's the ethos of that. It's not just about the music. It's about we're all binding to a lifestyle and that lifestyle can also be dangerous. You know, we know it's fueled with drugs and alcohol, all this kind of stuff. So I think in that sense, from the artistic perspective, it's very difficult um, <clears throat> and exhilarating. You know, I think sometimes we, we can just kind of tar it with one brush and say how difficult it is, but it's not. It's an amazing opportunity there, and many of us choose to do that. Um, and then you've got the industry side of it, I think, also, which is a different perspective. People are struggling. I think there's a lot of pressure now, more so than there ever was, for people to sustain their jobs and their careers where it's more volatile, there's less money. Um, so I think I, I do tend to separate them as unique, different, nuanced stresses, um, which are quite unique to being either an artist in the industry or somebody on the periphery. I work with both, and I think they're unique stresses in both. Um, I think digitalization has massively impacted everyone more so on COVID. There's just less money about. Um, I think, you know, it's coming to the foreground now because people are talking about it more. I don't think it's... Um, 
I think the occupational environment is actually it's, it's easier now to navigate than it ever has been because people's awarenesses of you know things like um, neurodiversity and other people's different needs much more likely to be accommodated than they ever have been. Um, but I think there's just a general also you know widening experience and knowledge of mental health as well. And then that shines its light on all of these different areas of life and the music industry being one of those areas, which is quite um, turbulent at times. That's how I see it. Yeah. Well, and this is a, a sort of significant change in, in one sense that we are talking about it. As you said, there's a level of understanding which has developed um, publicly in the mm. last few years, at least. Um, but the music industry has not traditionally addressed this. There's, this. It's always been there. It's clearly been there. We've, we can all think of examples but it, mental health in the music industry was it was sort of just a put to one side, perhaps not discussed. Why do you think that was? I think it always it's like anything, isn't it, in society? I think mental health and in any industry, from you know we know that the building trade, for example, now there's been a bit of a, sh- a torch shined on that, and there's been huge struggles and tensions within that area. I think the music industry just falls amongst one of those industries that has been quite covertly had its unique nature of struggle i think the difficulty you have with the industry is that people project their own fantasies upon their idols and therefore people who are in the limelight become increasingly distanced from who they really are so they're more they're less likely to kind of show some of their mental health struggles um you know i think we all do it whether or not we're on the inside of of we've seen some fame etc we all kind of idolize these people and imagine them to be something they're not I think this is why those things have been more covert in the music industry. I think it's coming to fruition now because of social media, where it's broken down those boundaries and artists are more likely to be closer to their fans and to give them, I wouldn't say a real insight because I'm not sure it's still real and as authentic as it's presented to be, but you're more likely to see or hear an artist struggling and talking about their mental health but the other side to that now is, you know, it's being used as a commodity. I see artists now kind of coming out with this. I'm struggling with mental health and it's difficult to know really what the authentic level is of that struggle. Um, so we're in this difficult period, I think. You mentioned there some complicated ideas around your projection of um, sort of like a, a fantasy essentially onto in a sort of iconic way onto onto artists that we do from a fan perspective. How traditionally has the, the the people in the industry, like managers, like labels, tour managers or booking agents, whoever, who they have this difficult role, don't they, of monetizing that idolatry and making money from it. But then maybe at the same time, they haven't been so incentivized to tone down some of the extremes that allow that, if, they, if you see what I mean. Is, is that something that you think has happened? It's a, it's a real kind of dichotomy, a real paradox, because you have this. On one level, the artist needs to be monetized for the people that, you know, record label effectively is a business investor investing money into a band, an artist to go out and generate income, not only for that business, but for themselves. So the artist can earn money so the artist can be better off. Um, And it is, it's tough because if you're an agent and you think, you know, this artist, we know we want to, we want to promote this album. They're going to do 20 dates on, you know, often when I was touring, you do a lot of dates and you'd be exhausted, but you knew at the end of it, you're going to, There'll be record sales. There'll be all these different promo opportunities. So where is the line and where does the buck stop? This is the danger we have because is it the label's responsibility? Is it the agent's responsibility? Is it the manager's? I think because it's more open now and there's more 
um, flexibility in it and people are more willing to say, hold on, this is maybe too much for this particular artist. I think that's a good thing. But I don't think there's no one size fits all. You know, I, I see a lot of people maybe less experienced and haven't really seen the inner workings of the industry talk about these idealised, you know, this is what we need to do. This is the list of stuff. You can't tour this and this. And I think that's just going to make it more complex. I think it's it's different to every person's needs. The additional difficulty you have if you've got a band and and one band member might be struggling mental health wise, what do you do? Do you, do you curtail the whole tour? That's okay if you're Coldplay or if you're Radiohead, but not if you're an entry level band when the other three members are probably going to want to boot you out because they want to kind of succeed. We've seen it in, you know, I won't name the bands, but we all know bands that have lost <clears throat> musicians and have gone on to even bigger things because that musician was struggling particularly. Um, I think it's a real complex situation. Um, I think sometimes in the media, we're, we're fed these, this is what we need to do. Generally, that's come from people that don't have an overview of both the industry and what it's like to be a working musician. Um, this is why I think things like Tonic and what we try and do at Tonic is, is vital because things like peer groups, we're not there saying, this is what you must do. These are the answers. I think that, you know, there's a limit to that. We all know that we should be eating healthier. We all know we should be getting more sleep. We don't really need to be told these kind of things. Um, but it's about, well, what does it mean for you as an individual? And additional to that, what are your previous wounds that you're carrying from your narrative and your blueprint of how you see life and your construct? How is that interacting with the industry as well? Um, and then what's best for you? And, and I think for me, that's the most potent thing we can offer. Self-reflection, you know, uh, being able to chat with other musicians, creating this community so you can work out what's best for you. Whilst also, yeah, you know, shaving the industry where we can and working out some some places where things can be eased. But in the same time, I think it's, it's difficult and I think it's not going to be a one size fits all. Geordie, um let's then connect that to Tonic Rider. When someone approaches you, what do they say to you? How do they feel? What are they looking for? And, and how do you help them? Yes, yeah, so everyone who registers onto the Tonic Rider programme, um, they're offered a one-to-one -one booking appointment prior to participating on a course, on a group, on a workshop. Um, and this provides the participant the first opportunity to discuss their own mental health and well-being. And often this is the first time they actually can speak about their mental health well-being, especially in the music industry context. Um, and this also enables us to identify any additional or unmet needs prior to attending the programme, which is really important because, you know, the peer support groups, which Adam mentioned, that they can be, they can be triggering. Topics can come up that can cause, um, you know, trigger trauma or, it can raise, or raise an issue that can be upsetting. So it's, it's important for us to, to identify that prior to any attendance. And a lot of things come up. There's a range of issues that come up. You've got the traditional stress on tour. You've got newer occupational stresses such as digital burnout. And also the effects of Brexit on touring as well comes up. COVID, you know, post-lockdown post effects. You know, we're still, we're not completely, we're not post-COVID. We're, we're post-lockdown, but there's still the ramifications of that. So a lot of things come up. And the, the team at Tonic Rider, they are mental health professionals, they're social care professionals with experience in the music industry. So there's that empathy around the issues that are discussed, which may not be so easily um, gained with non-music industry specific support. And the, and the programme itself, with everything we provide, especially the courses, groups of workshop, we really emphasise this peer element. 
not just in the peer support groups, but also the mental health first aid, the suicide first aid light, our workshops. And the reason for this is so we can equip participants with new skills, they can develop new relationships. And this really sort of is to not only benefit themselves, but to benefit their colleagues and the wider music community. And that, that's a really important part is that peer element. So it's not just about participants discussing their what you know their emotions and the difficulties of going through and then attending something like here here's a workshop and this will solve everything it's about learning new skills about how, taking that time to meet fellow music professionals fellow working musicians and really um really benefit from attending the program rather than it being more for a surface level and you just do an hour and a half and then that's it, it we, we really even even though we're a, a national charity and a, a lot most of what we offer is remote and delivered online, we really emphasise that peer element, that community aspect of the program. How do people respond when you know, they they'll, they'll come to you with? I presume with the sort of not all the same, but they the work in the same industry. They perhaps have got issues that have stemmed from similar areas, and then you, you provide them with this level of support around community and also talking. How do they respond to that? What 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 changes do they notice, and why does it work for them or, or not work for them? I think the response has been great. I think in terms of we've had some really great stories, which um, Adam can also reflect on. So, for for example, um, we had one specific peer support group that um, then went on to develop a WhatsApp group, and then they then met in person. So they've really developed these relationships, and you know, one two years on, they're still that peer element is still there. So even though the actual group itself finished off six weeks, they're still supporting one another. They're still, um, you know, talking about the stresses they encounter, maybe even mental ill health they're experiencing, and they're still, to this day, providing that support to one another. And it's really, it's really, we have a lot of good, good, good news stories, some real sort of great stories from that where um, participants have been able to use the skills they've learned from mental health first aid maybe on tour, maybe in the recording scene, maybe just in, just out and about, even not within the music industry. Same with the suicide first aid light. These skills really, really important and really important in terms of the music industry because of the issues we mentioned, the anxiety, depression, high rates of suicide ideation and attempts as well, um, substance use issues as well, all of these kind of issues. Um, so it's really important that participants who attend the training courses, so even though the training courses are the accredited mental health first aid, the accredited suicide first aid light. So the content itself is the same as you would attend for a non-music industry course. But because the facilitator is themselves a musician and all the participants are from the music industry, the conversation around it within the course focuses on the music industry. So it allows participants to highlight issues they encounter because a lot of the time working in the music industry, you can feel oh, is this just me experiencing this? I, I'm, I'm suddenly, I've got a record deal, but I'm not feeling too great about this. I'm feeling a bit anxious. I'm even feeling depressed about this. Or maybe going on a first tour and thinking when when everyone outside industry expects you to be really happy and living the dream and earning lots and lots of money, which we know within the music, that's not the case at all. But actually within the music industry, sometimes you can look to your fellow professionals and think I'm the only person here who's not happy or experiencing not in a good place when actually by our program fostering that conversation and you know really encouraging people to talk about their mental health 
that's when participants can realise, oh, actually, it's not just me that's experiencing this. In fact, my colleagues are in a wider music me, and, and these these issues are prevalent and we can address this together. Adam mentioned a couple of minutes ago that in the last, <laughs> let's say, two years, artists are very publicly talking about burnout, um, the pressures they're feeling from needing, to, for example, to be everywhere on social media, particularly during lockdown and and they're talking. You know, we're hearing artists who are saying, "I'm, I'm sorry, I'm cancelling my tour because I want to protect my mental health, and this is not the right time to do it." So that, that's obviously a quite a big change in terms of the conversation. But why do you think it's only happening now? Um, I think there's been there has been a shift. I think generally, culturally, with mental health, people are more accepting of it as <clears throat> along similar lines as physical health. You know, I think there's been a big sea change of that culturally. As to why that's happened, um, I think technology has been really, um, you know, helpful in that sense. I think COVID also was another, you know, nail in that coughing of the old world, I think, where many, many people um, had the carpet kind of tugged away from underneath and we had this sense of safety and suddenly the world isn't as safe as we perceived it to be. And many people are still struggling with that, you know, this sense of danger. You've gone from COVID into, you know, the, the, the warlike scenario of what's going on in Ukraine. I think the world's a very dangerous place now. Um, probably not as, you know, it's probably not any more dangerous, but because we're exposed to all of it, we know from, you know, from research that since the advent of the internet, we're all feeling a lot more anxiety and fear um, mm. because we're exposed to it. We would never have known about, you know, from my local area here, there's some knife crime in the weekend. I would never have known about that, but suddenly it's thrust in your face and there's all that. I think um, <clears throat> certain demographics are, are a lot less connected now because they're connected digitally, which I think is like, you know, a very small percent of what it really means to be connected. Yeah. I think that's become more prevalent in mental health. We know, you know, young people's mental health is through the roof because of that. I believe it's because of that, because we lack these social connections that we were having, once having. Um, alongside that, I think, you know, there becomes a certain level of resilience that's developed from bumps and bruises of living real, real life, rather than maybe some of the protection that online relationships afford us. I think it's a bit of a perfect storm. Um, I think we'll look back in 20 years and realise, you know, realise the detriment of where technology was both helpful and detrimental to people's psychology. Um, so I think there's been a cultural shift and I think there's been a huge um, increase in people struggling and an awareness of that as well. So I think it's a combination of all of those things. And what are the repercussions that, like, maybe in a specific sense, have you seen anything that has specifically been a consequence of people opening up these conversations in public you know it's 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 good to get the conversation started but are you spotting any changes in behavior of for example the way people book tours or the way that um uh, the, the the pressures that r record labels or managers might put on artists to be on social media have you know have you heard about any changes that have happened as a consequence of this i mean i guess i only pick up more maybe the cynical end where i work with artists of profile that generally translate to me that there's a lot of talk about it and a lot of um, perception of, you know, we'll get mental health first aid training and we'll become well-being practitioners. But the reality is still very much the same, the sense of pressure. Whether or not that's just somebody's perception, I don't know. Um, I've, I've definitely seen a sea change in terms of lots of labels, you know, um, taking on people under these roles. I don't know to what extent that is actually impacting the mental health 
or it's just, you know, a box tick exercise. I wouldn't know. Mm. The reason I get involved or I got involved with something like tonic is because it was hands-on. It wasn't a lot of kind of bluster and we're going to do all this stuff. It was like, let's do a peer group. Let's run a peer group, not just talk about it. So we jumped in, you know, we were the first people to do it and actually ran a free peer group. And then Tonic, all of their courses were free. So there was this series of resources that were getting underused, which is what, for me, you know, spurred me to get involved. And and also they use music as well. So the active use of music therapeutically, I found really beneficial. Um, mm. So all of those different things, you know, practically implementing it rather than it just being what can sometimes be maybe cynically so a tokenistic gesture, which we see a lot, which mm. doesn't really translate to, well, person A is still very distressed and under the same pressure, yet you've, you've got a huge budget and all this lovely mental health first aid training and whatever it is. Um, I tend to see the other side to that where the artists are still struggling, um, but maybe mm. that's just the nature of the cold face that I work in. Um but there's definitely- that's, an impo- that's an important learning to have, isn't it? Because if, they, if they're the people who are needing help and they're thinking that, that the change is superficial and not happening, like you say, there's a level of perception there which can change, but also that is a, that is a, a, a measurement that is, is important as well to acknowledge, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, and as I say, I work with a very bespoke you know, group of people that are coming generally because they're in distress and they want to explore how they can better make choices. So in that sense, yes. But, you know, the same thing is to what extent is it their personality that are stopping them from taking up these offers of support? I don't know. It'd be be wrong of me to speculate on that. Um, But I I definitely I hold it with an air of cynicism. A lot of the kind of the tokenistic gesturing of mental health strategies when I see what they are actually implementing on the factory floor, as it were. And, and don't forget, you've got a whole host of people that aren't touched by that. These just these emerging bands that don't have the luxury of all the tour support and the luxury of, you know, the 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 wealth and the, the financial backing that the big label artists have. Um, those are the ones that Tonic mainly we, we aim to get. It's people that aren't in that luxurious position to be able to afford that kind of stuff. Jordy, is there anything you've spotted in that? in that way about yeah i would say the conversation around mental health in the music industry really developed 10 years ago i think we had sort of pockets where it could have developed so in the late 1950s early 1960s there was actually the musicians clinic um opened in new york for musicians who are experiencing mainly heroin addiction so we had that kind of happen but again the conversation didn't really develop from that in the 1980s, we had research led by Jeffrey Wills and Susan Rayburn that really highlighted occupational stresses experienced by musicians. And that was like an, another point where there was a bit of discussion, but it didn't really develop. And I'd say 10 years ago, it was the first time I really saw the conversation around mental health and music. She move away from this kind of either the romanticizing of issues mm. or demonizing of issues that musicians were experiencing, where the media would sometimes um, almost praise um, musicians who were experiencing issues or sort of putting them on a pedestal or even actually criticising them and really really rubbishing them. It It was really awful. And I think we found this along the last 10 years where there's been several high profile musicians who have passed away due to mental health related issues where there's been a real cultural switch where it's this more empathy. There's a real more empathy towards the music industry and mental health. And, and, and in turn, this has generated greater awareness of mental health and music industry. And I think we've had, again, probably 10 years of really awareness, awareness, awareness of mental health and music industry. And I think now we're beginning to see action 
And that's where Tonic Rider comes in with our peer support groups and training courses. Um, and hopefully within the next sort of five, 10 years, this action will really, really change the culture of the music industry in terms of mental health. Because I think there is that understanding and I think there's knowledge mm. and there's skills there. But I think in terms of everyday working practices around mental health music industry, we still need that real big cultural shift, which mm. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful Tonic Rider are one of the leaders for. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that those, those actions then. Um, what can you, we've got an audience of people who work in the music industry uh, and, and make decisions. So, what can they do to support artists uh, and people who work in the industry, create a better environment, uh, promote better mental health, and and do things that are not just sort of a sticking plaster that looks good, but something that actually is. Uh, structured support that makes a change so we've got multiple levels here of different responsibilities haven't we um first and foremost on an individual level anyone who works in the music industry who's based in the uk register for the tonic rider program because because it's not just aimed towards music industrials experience and poor mental health it's along the spectrum of mental health there's good mental health poor mental health at times mental ill health there's skills to be learned there's relationships to be developed there's 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 something for everyone in the music industry we 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 as sort of as humans, we need to always learn and train and, and develop skills. That's first and foremost, individual perspective, register on a tonic rider, check out the courses, groups, workshops. Um, it might not always be f- for you. It, it's a case of just maybe dipping the toe in and maybe this isn't for me, but I'm I'm fairly confident there is something for everyone. I think again from an organizational level, in terms of music industry organizations, it is about because we offer um for on a paid basis organizations to purchase a full mental health first aid training or full suicide first aid like course again it's about if your staff haven't been trained in mental health first aid suicide first aid, purchase that. Tra- that that's first and foremost training around mental health that kind of you know so your staff know what to do for themselves but also know what to do with their colleagues so from an organizational level every music industry organization should and the very basis have that training and other training as well. Um, and then from an industry level, it is about highlighting. We have this knowledge around mental health and, I, and I, I, it's not still quite there that yet. It's about highlighting, you know, Tonic Rider and you know our partner services such as Help Musicians and the BAPAM. Highlighting those so the industry, that everyone in the industry knows about these services, but also having the right information about what to do in a crisis because Tonic Rider, we're not a crisis service. So in terms of crisis, it needs to be more 999 A&E route. So it's about learning that as well because as an industry, I think we have this awareness of mental health and a lot of people have really great knowledge around mental health. But again, it's still it's still making sure that we know the, the right information because it's about intervening, but intervening correctly. And that needs to be done at an industry level. And then in time, hopefully, this is about, uh, you know, taught, you know, being understanding touring and how it relates to mental health. We've had multiple artists now cancel or postpone tours saying about their mental health. So not just saying about exhaustion or even unforeseen circumstances. It's about explicitly talking about mental health, which is brilliant. Um, and, and hopefully it will lead to better working practices all round. I, I think I think the peer support groups, so our peer support groups are funded by help musicians and they're facilitated by different ther- ther- psychotherapists, counsellors. Adam for Adam 
um, facilitates most of them. So he facilitates an online peer support group and he'll be, you know, he'll follow me up on this. But the conversations that stem from that are so beneficial because they're, they're, they're an unstructured group. There's no themes, there's no themes, there's no like weekly theme. It's just that open, safe, confidential conversation with a psychotherapist who knows about working in the music industry and knows distresses, empathises with the issues and things that are discussed. And I think everyone in the music industry should attend at least one peer support group because even though there's no concrete information you learn because it's not a course, it's not a workshop, I think the benefit of the peer support groups is so significant, not just for the individual, but again, the colleagues and the wider music industry as like a ripple effect. Great. Uh, thanks, uh, Geordie. Adam, I wonder if you want to expand on that a little bit uh, in terms of the, the practicalities to make a real meaningful change, what people can do. Yeah, I guess, you know, meaningful change is a subjective experience. But in that sense, I think what I get from these peer groups is the fact of community. You know, people identify. And what I always hear is that it's really refreshing and, and warming for these people to come into a space they don't have to spend the first few hours, weeks talking about what it is to be a musician. You know, again, you know, this this big struggle between something which is a choice and a need. It's, it's more than a vocation. For many of us, it is a need. And trying to even explain that to someone that's never never played an instrument, that just just just, you know, a whole paradigm shift for them. So I think that I think there's that sense of we can identify with each other. And then going forward, you know, there's always such a rich wealth of knowledge within those groups as well where people then find that they're able to kind of offer, well, this this helped for me. Not in a sense of this would definitely help for you, but this helped for me and this was my experience of it. And then through talking about their own experience, they're processing it and making sense of themselves anyway. And then someone else picks up on that and they're like, oh, that's a really good idea. Maybe I'll try that. I tend to not step in and give much of the, you know, the, the theoretical knowledge that 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 I have. I might kind of pepper in if it's quiet and say, oh, this is my take on it. Because I want it to be a peer group. I don't want it to be, here's all the information. This is what you need to do. I think it's bigger than that. It's richer than that. But the the big takeaway is that sense that everyone's saying that it's so refreshing to be in a space where people understand us. And the other luxury of, because it's online, is you don't get groups of people in the same area that know each other. Because that tends to kind of prompt this this competitiveness that we have in the industry. So-and-so band similar to us, we might not feel comfortable with it. Um, we did pilot some some kind of label groups and we, we struggle with the demographic of that because of the power structure that's already in place. So there, there's a way now we, we work with those. But in the peer groups, that's the other luxury because they're online. You get people that don't know each other. So everyone feels really safe. There's no competition. You know, there's none of this kind of already in place hierarchy of relationship that we find in our own little niches. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, it's that. It's that, wow, people get me which we know, you know, is the cornerstone of therapy anyway, really, despite what people learn. If somebody really gets you and you feel okay to talk about these little things that you might think sound silly to other people and they go, shit, yeah, I get that too. That That is it in a nutshell, really. And I think that's the worth of it. And, you know, the, the biggest frustration I have is that there's these resources that aren't being used. You know, we run these free peer groups and they are now that they're getting, they're increasing, but... There's funding there for us to kind of expand that at a greater pace. But the frustration is I talk to people and they say, oh, I never knew about this. So, you know, I'm not uh, a marketing person. So hence why we try to kind of get the word out there. And I think any people, any 
if you're working with any artists or even on the periphery of the industry, it's such an, a valuable resource just to just point people in the direction of what Sonic do to say, look, just sign on. If you don't like it, drop out. It's like, it's no big deal. But I think that the value of that, this is really you know, what we're trying to kind of open up, I think. Um, and of course, being an artist is a very lonely thing. It's a creative task, isn't it? And how do how do these practically work? Out of interest, these 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 groups. So let's say I was to join one of these one of these sort of peer groups. How how does it physically work in terms of how, how do we talk? Yeah, well, once a week it's on Zoom, and um, it's six sessions. For now, we're working on different kind of protocols of this, but it's a six six sessions for an hour and a half, ninety minutes. And it initially works by me introducing it and saying, look, it's just a place for us all to be heard, really. And then initially I might talk about some of my experiences because no one knows each other. And I'll say, oh, you know, last week I was touring and um, I was at a travel lodge and I felt really lonely. Something like that. Just a real, very boundaried, a very vulnerable experience of this is one of my struggles. And then someone will say, yeah, I know what that's like. And then last week I was doing this and someone's saying, yeah, and the late nights. And now I'm being asked to DJ four nights a week and they're kind of, you know, reducing my fee because they know someone else will jump straight in if I don't take it. These kind of things. It gets the ball rolling. It's always different. It's always different experiences. But the bottom line, it always comes down to psychological struggle. So this is what I feel like doing this. And just from talking about these things, people can kind of process their experience. So it suddenly becomes this this ambiguous thing, stress they're holding to, I know why now, because I know why I feel lonely when I'm touring on this, because duh, 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 because they've heard all of people talking it away from my family and thus you know i might need to then go and drink and then you hear that in the in the in the group and so on i said yeah i need to really watch my drinking when i feel lonely just i'm you know just throwing out random examples here but these are the kind of things that initially at the start of the sessions i think i, I pull a lot of my rich experience in and my ongoing work to bring in and then by the end of the the, the groups i'm literally saying a lot well hardly anything because it people feel more comfortable talking to somebody that or a group of people that really understand it. So that's how it works. And it can be daunting because there's no structure. But I invite people just to kind of come in and I say, you know, if you don't feel like talking, don't talk. There's no pressure. We don't go around saying, now what have you got to say? If no one talks, I, I, I've got enough stuff that's been processed and I'm happy to talk about. I could fill up that space quite easily. So it's like there's no pressure for anyone to talk. I don't want to, but initially the first session might take a bit of that for people to feel safe. But that's how it works in practice. Mm, that's, and that sounds really good, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I guess those groups can perhaps form their own sort of external yeah, support do, channels around that. They do. Yeah, they take it forward with a WhatsApp group. And mostly because the one we're running at the minute is, I think, it's, it's midday till 1.30 every Monday. So people will hold that. And that's their check-in space. Because I think we get used to it in our body. Like every Monday at midday, I've got a chance just to check in and say, today I feel really shit, or today I feel really happy because this happened. It doesn't have to go any further than that. Just having that, you know, it, it's really, really valuable. And I know from my own work in addictions where a lot of our psychological distress is because we don't quite know where we're at emotionally. Even in the first few seconds where we go around, someone will say, yeah, I feel really shit today. Okay, fine. I feel really sad. Okay, I feel really happy. You know, just, just these little things are so vital for our mental health. Um, so I think just having that benefit and people always take them, they always take the groups forward. It's um, We're working out a way whether we can try and keep one going long term. But of course, what you get with long term is people coming and going. So it's not safe. It's not as closed. But we're trying to work out a way we can try to uh, maintain this. So you know, it's work in process, really. Well, that all sounds really powerful stuff. And obviously, I'll put links to Tonic Rider um, mm. below the podcast so 
people listening can check it out. Um, but, uh, Jordi, if people want to, or, or Adam, both of you, if, pe- if people are listening and saying, okay, I want to connect on an industry side and uh, or I want to connect on a personal side, they can just go straight to the website and, and they can start from there, can they? Yeah, so the registration form is accessible on the Tonic Rider webpage. So that's tonicmusic.co.uk forward slash tonic-rider. Um, it's just a nice button there saying reg- register. You just click on that and uh, away you go with the registration form. And then also for any queries to the team, our, our team always on hand. And that's under the email, just tonicrider at tonicmusic.co.uk. And, and we, you know, we get a range of queries. It's going to be queries about what a course group or workshop is. It could, it could be anything. Um, the, the important thing to remember is as well that with our registration process, with the booking appointment, that booking appointment also allows us to sign person even refer participants on to other services because sometimes it's the, the, the tonic wider program is not the right it's not the right stage and time for that. So we have a referral pathway with different organisations, again music industry organisations that we can do that. So it is that real safeguarded mental health informed approach to our work. Great. I'll, I'll put links to all those things. Uh, well, look, I think obviously this is a really important topic and uh, it's good to hear that, that there are pathways for people to get support and, and that the conversation is opening out. And um, I think it'll be perhaps interesting for us to check in again in the future and see if things have changed and things you've heard that are perhaps making a difference um, because obviously it is such an important issue. So, uh, Jordi and Adam, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And there we are. Big thanks to... Uh, Adam and Geordie of Tonic Rider for joining me and there are links as I said below this podcast. If you found that interview useful please share the podcast on with someone else who you think will get something out of it and if you'd like to get in touch with me uh, you're always welcome to email me it's joe at musically.com that's j-o-e at musically.com and don't forget we have a free weekly email called the knowledge which arrives in your inbox excitedly every Friday and combines some of the best analysis, news, marketing insight and skills from Music Ally. You can also sign up to that beneath this podcast. All right, that's it. I've been Joe Sparrow. Thanks for listening and see you next time.